organ donation. First, we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of the organ transplantation system and the common questions that surround the topic. Then I'll transition to the ethical questions and quandaries that often arise when discussing organ transplantation. It's important that we first understand how the organ donation system works before we move forward. So how does it operate and how has it changed? The first successful organ donation was a kidney transplant in 1954. Until the late 70s and early 80s, organ transplants were rare, and not because there was a lack of available organs, but because, rather, organ rejection was so prevalent and compatible recipients couldn't be located quickly enough. In the U.S., the organ donation system is managed by the United Network for Organ Sharing. When a person is going to donate an organ, a database known as UNET houses their body data, including blood type, body type, and previous health conditions. When an organ is needed, UNET will use an algorithm to rank which organ is most suitable for the person in need. A large factor in this decision is location. Organs are distributed locally first, and then they gradually expand their search radius until a match is located. Afterwards, physicians select which organ they'll give to the person in need. The highest-ranked candidates are generally those who need the organs most urgently and or those who have the best chance of survival if transplanted. At the time of the transplant, the organ is transported via ambulance or airplane, depending on the organ's lifespan. There's no standard age limit for transplantation, and each program chooses who to accept based on medical history. The system is so much more organized today than previously. With online systems and detailed algorithms, chances of organ rejection have been lowered significantly, and more people as a result can receive organ donations. Regarding numerical information for viability and success rate of transplants, there are significant differences between the different organs since they have different preservation times that require different systems of allocation. Kidneys are viable for 24 to 36 hours after death, but the liver is only 8 to 12 hours and the heart and lungs are only 4 to 6 hours. Of those who receive an organ, there's a 98% chance of survival for lung, kidney, and liver transplants, and a 92% survival rate for heart transplants. Transplanted organs may not last a lifetime due to factors such as the transplant causing inflammation, persistent disease, injuring the new organ as it did the original one, and declining health of the donor. The transplant system also varies greatly from country to country. For instance, Spain has the highest donor rate and opt-out policy, otherwise known as presumed consent. All donors have the hospital fees covered, extended health coverage for a year plus, and discounted hospital rates for years after. Other countries with presumed consent include France, Greece, Norway, Sweden, and Turkey. Another example is China. Until 2014, China permitted harvesting of organs from executed prisoners without consent from donors or their families. One third example, Iran. Iran is the only country where it's legal to purchase a kidney. Patients in need of a kidney are referred to the Dialysis and Transplant Patients Association, which matches them with a potential donor, and they receive compensation around four to $6,000. In contrast, Israel has a don't give, don't get system, which gives registered donors of three years or more priority to receive an organ, and the family members of registered donors take priority after them. Complete reimbursement is offered to the living donors for time taken off of work, with health and life insurance coverage for five years. Within the first year of its implementation, organ transplant rates rose over 60%. In comparison, the U.S. is an opt-in program with the fourth highest organ donor rate of 26 donors per million people, yet we still have 100,000 people on the wait list. 
When I signed up for the driving permit exam, I noticed that the registration form offered the option of volunteering as an organ donor. Drawing on this example, could we use tools such as showing an educational video before completing the form so that people are informed of the significance and the context of that decision and would hopefully be more likely to sign up? There's another possibility called mandated choice under which people must indicate their preference. For instance, in Illinois, when residents renew their driver's licenses and update their photos, they're required to specify their choice. They have a 60% donor sign-up rate, which is much higher than the national rate of 38%. These strategies are some of the many options we must consider when attempting to address the organ shortage crisis. Now that we've discussed the past and present of organ donation and transplants, we can transition to one of the most exciting parts of the discussion, in my opinion, which is the future possibilities and advancements in the field of organ transplantation. What could the system look like in 10 years and 20 years? One goal within the scientific community is the creation of organs within the laboratory. How close are we to uh, this reality, and is this just an interesting but out-of-reach idea, or is it conceivable within the coming decades? There are many barriers when it comes to growing cells that function as natural organs. For instance, researchers need to find the best medium and nutrients for the cells. Cells are easy to mass-produce in the lab, but putting them in a 3D environment will kill the cells if they're bigger than a microscopic size. As of now, we've been able to create what we refer to as organoids, which are clumps of cells which resemble organs and mimic some of their functions, yet don't possess certain growth abilities, like blood vessels to nourish tissue and allow it to grow. These organoids are produced via stem cells, which are human cells that can develop into any different cell type. All cells start off as stem cells, and as they mature, they develop a function, or differentiate, becoming a cell like a blood cell, a skin cell, a neuron. The main benefit of growing tissues in the lab is that organs could be grown from a patient's own cells, making them immunologically compatible and eliminating the need for typical lifelong immunosuppressive treatment. Once the technology advances to a certain point, it could also be used as a bridging treatment, or time that could be bought for patients on the waiting list, similar to a left ventricular assist device. One company called Volumetric is working on 3D printing water-based materials which mimic the water content and stiffness of human organs. They've successfully produced the smallest building block of a lung called an air sac or alveolus, which is the part which exchanges oxygen gas and carbon dioxide. About 600 million alveoli are needed to replicate a single lung. And some organized transplants have already been proven successful, two examples being mouse livers and colons. Another idea to mitigate the organ shortage is turning towards animals as a potential source of organs. Animal-to-human transplantation is known as xenotransplantation, and it's an especially hot topic now within the scientific community. Early uses of xenotransplantation began in the 1960s as large advances were made in immunology. Examples include using chimpanzee kidneys and baboon hearts. More recently, organs from pigs have been used. In January 2022, scientists transplanted the first genetically modified pig heart into a human, who lived for two months after the transplant. The organ was genetically modified to prevent the patient's immune system from attacking the foreign tissue. Four genes were inactivated to inhibit rejection response and continual growth of the heart, and six genes were inserted to make the organs more acceptable to the human immune system. The patient most likely died to a viral response introduced from the pig's heart, and not due to the pig's failure, per se. This gives reason to be optimistic, as it's possible that with more thorough scanning for diseases before xenotransplantation, animal organs may be viable in humans. 
When choosing the donor species for xenotransplantation, it must be considered that although non-human primates would be the best donors for humans, they're frequently endangered and there's a high potential for the transmission of viruses, which is a larger concern between closely related species than distantly related species. Pigs are thought to be the most promising potential donor because of their availability and their ability to reach adult size in six months. Pig heart valves, skin, and pancreatic cells are already routinely transplanted into humans. However, pig cells contain a sugar molecule called alpha-gal that humans don't, so human immune systems produce severe immune reactions to alpha-gal, leading the human body to reject the transplanted organ unless this is addressed. Scientists are working on developing other transplant technologies that might take a bit longer to become feasible, but have the potential to revolutionize the transplantation of organs globally. One of the most recent breakthroughs is the, in tissue engineering is the 3D printing of human ears using a patient's own cells, which is the first example of 3D printing implants made of living tissue. Since cells originate from the patient's own tissue, they're unlikely to be rejected. The actual tissue engineering process requires scientists to isolate the patient's chondrocytes, cells responsible for cartilage formation, and place them in favorable conditions with nutrients to allow them to survive and reproduce. The cells are mixed with collagen-based bioink and inserted using a syringe into a 3D printer to be printed in a replica of the ear. The actual printing process itself is rapid. Even facial transplants have been proven to be successful. About 50 such surgeries have been completed worldwide, and a human face may be harvested directly from a donor and surgically transplanted onto the recipient. One alternative solution to the organ donation shortage is the restoration of dysfunctional organs. Roughly 80% of lungs offered for transplant are unfit to be transplanted. To restore unusable lungs, scientists attach them to a respirator to allow them to breathe, quote unquote, and then the lungs are attached to a vein in the neck of a live pig so that its blood flows through the vessels. Now I'm going to propose some of the questions I find most thought-provoking regarding the present and future of the organ donation system now that we've covered all of this background information. Firstly, should the U.S. switch to a system in which the default is opting in? In other words, people would need to specifically and intentionally opt out if they didn't want to donate. And what are your thoughts on other ways that we could raise organ donation rates? Another question, is Israel's don't give, don't get system ethical? And how does one even define ethical? Can the medical system prioritize donors over non-donors for life donors for life-saving procedures? Or does it have a responsibility to treat all patients equally? Third, should potential recipients whose organs were damaged by illness be prioritized over potential recipients whose organs were injured as a result of smoking, drinking alcohol, or taking drugs? Or is there a societal obligation to treat all patients equally? Fourth, does paying people to donate organs while they're alive, like a kidney for instance, unfairly incentivize the poor? then should we have the right to sell our own body parts? As mentioned before, currently this is banned in the U.S. due to the National Organ Transplant Act of 1984, which makes it illegal to sell or buy human organs and tissues. Should there be different parameters for organ distribution besides the current criteria used by UNIT to rank candidates? Should a person in whom a transplant has failed be given a second organ, or should a different person have a first chance? 
Thank you so much. Those are my questions. I hope you have a great day, and I hope you can consider and reflect upon these questions we've proposed.